Chats from the Blog Cabin. Your favorite podcast is here. Welcome back to another episode of Chats from the Vlog Cabin. You know, the show where I virtually invite people into the Vlog Cabin to chat about life. And today we're talking to and with JJ, who is a certified financial planner and author of Teaching Kids to Buy Stocks, Stories, and Lessons for Grownups. And basically, it's all about how parents can teach kids about the stock market using video games, which I think is really cool, and how they can invest as little as $10, which I think is great. So welcome to the show, JJ. Before we get into talking about stocks, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on your show, Melissa. Um, I guess the best way to describe myself are two ways. One, I'm a dad. And second, I'm an investment geek that really got into the markets at uh, interested in the markets at a young age, thanks to wonderful teachers that I had. And as I've grown, as my kids have grown up, I've had a lot of those same conversations that people had with me, with them, and found that both through my professional career and just being a dad, that I, there, there's a market for people that can explain the market in simple terms because most people that understand the market they don't have a very easy time of explaining it in simple terms and so trying to be the uh, the interpreter if you will yeah so how did you decide to write a book about this you know it, it started from actually me doing both things both working with my kids and telling them stuff as they were growing up and then in my professional role as an investment advisor talking to people that were um, investing their money, whether it be in their 401k or, or whatever it might be, and finding a lot of these conversations were the same. That the way I explained it to my kids really made grown-ups light up when I explained it to them in the same way. And one day I'm talking to one of my friends that is uh, in, the, in the investment business with me, and we're talking about kind of different things I had done with my kids and with, with the, uh, the clients that I had. And he said, you know, you should start putting something together. Maybe you should write a book about this so that you can, can you know, spread that message a little bit further. And I, you know, fast forward, that was about three and a half years ago. And I got the book out and we're just, you know, gradually trying to build more and more around that with the idea of trying to get personal finance, financial education to more people that might not get it otherwise and making it easier for them to consume. Yeah, because a lot of kids don't know. Well, I say a lot of kids, but a lot of kids are technically savvy, more technical savvy than most adults, but they don't know what to do with their money. They right. don't think about saving. They think about, oh, where am I going to spend my next dollar? Let's talk about the basics of investing for people that don't know anything about investing. Right. Well, and that's the, that's the sneaky truth right there that you mentioned is that whole idea of where am I going to spend my next dollar? And it all starts with that, because when I, when I work with the kids and even within the book, we start with building up a foundation of an emergency fund and getting into that habit of thinking about where that next dollar is going to go. Because if you do that one thing, I mean, we're talking about kids, adults, anybody, if you can do one thing, and that is get yourself into the habit or develop the personal discipline to spend less than you, than you make, 
spend mm -hmm. less, you know, spend less going out than you have coming in. If you do that one little thing, all the other things work themselves out. The investment stuff, the markets, all of that stuff, you'll figure it out. You'll do just fine. But if you don't do that one thing, mm -hmm. it doesn't do you any good to know about the stock market if you're always broke. If you're always, you know, when something goes wrong, you have to go into debt to pay it off. So if you're constantly fighting that cycle, it doesn't matter if you know about the stock market. You're never going to get there. So what's the one tip or a couple of tips to people so they won't spend more than what they make? It, it's just the, the it's hard, but it's to be aware. It starts with an awareness and being conscious of, all right, I have this much and it has to go to these things and making a plan for that money. And it's, it's not rocket science. It's incredibly simple. The hard part is the psychology because mm -hmm. our human nature will work against us. And you know this from, from all, all the work that you've done that you know, being able to say no to yourself can be very hard to do. Mm -hmm. It's that self-discipline. But if you can just get into that mindset of, okay, I'm going to tell my money where to go before I get it. And one of those places is going to be to save for when things go wrong for that rainy day fund, because we know we're going to have rainy days. Mm -hmm. If we know it's going to happen, shouldn't we own an umbrella? Absolutely. And so own the umbrella, plan for that. And then when those bad things happen, it doesn't just throw your entire life off course. It, it becomes an inconvenience that you have to deal with. But if you don't plan for it, then it can throw your whole life off course. You lose decades that way. So what is what would you say would be the ideal amount to, for your rainy day fund? Um, I'm going to go with kind of the conventional answers. It's going to depend on your job situation. But three to six months of your core expenses is I agree with what most experts say that that's where you should be. The more uh, fluctuation you have in your income, the less stable your job, then the more you want to lean towards that six months. If you, you know, know you have really good job stability, you're not really having that much fluctuation, then maybe you can get away with the three months. And if that seems too big, you know, start by trying to get to one month. But uh, you have to have a plan to get there. So mm -hmm. if, if that number for one month or three months seems large, you have to break it down into pieces. And I, I, what does that mean over you know, each paycheck and each paycheck mm -hmm. for the next maybe 12 months or 24 months. So you, you have to just break it into small pieces, just like the old, the old adage, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? How do you save up six months of expenses? A hundred dollars at a time. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of people are like, they think, oh, I have to save all this money right now. And that's what kind of turns them off because they look at that big, like you said, elephant in front of them and saying, I can't do this. I can't do this. But with simple steps, you can do this. Yep. And, and then, and then that, that goes into investing as well. If, if you were told, Hey, the only way you're going to be able to invest is if you have, you know, $10,000 or $50,000, mm -hmm. well, that might, you know, might as well, to some people, you might as well say, well, you have a million dollars. But the reality is we've seen millions and millions of people, millions and millions of Americans become financially independent and build wealth by starting with $25 a month, then $50 a month, then $100 a month. And what I tr really try to, to um, impress upon the teenagers that I, that I work with, that I teach the personal finance classes to, is try to get in the habit when you're 19, 20, 21 of putting whatever you can away, even if it's $10 or $25, to get into that habit. Because if you can invest a little bit over time, then it becomes more powerful than waiting until you're in your 30s 
and trying to invest more because here's what happens and you know this as well as i life doesn't get cheaper as you get older mm -hmm. it doesn't get simpler it might seem impossible when you're 22 and you you know renting have roommates whatever the situation is how am i going to scrape up 25 dollars well, if you can get in the habit of doing that that can really carry you through your 30s and 40s because you know you get to 30 35 you know suddenly you've got kids you got all these other things mm -hmm. going on you're like wait a minute i thought it was supposed to get simpler but it doesn't it doesn't get simpler because when you add kids to the mix and they want to do things and all of a sudden you're like all the extra money that you thought you were going to have are going to your kids activities or maybe they start driving the cars or whatever you know or needing a car or something yep. but, but you can do a lot with a little bit each month and when i show the kids you know here's what you know fifty dollars or a hundred dollars monthly through your 20s will be for there for you when you're in your 30s it's a it, it's substantial and um and suddenly that ten thousand dollars to invest doesn't seem so impossible yeah so let's talk about the financial savvy of kids these days because a lot of times it's parents that are still footing the bills i've noticed that with each i have three girls and with each one of my girls each generation each because there's such age gaps so 26 23 and 19 that by the time the 23 year old was in high school most of her friends already had cars Whereas my daughter was the first one to have a car, but we found an old beater for 500 bucks that we bought for her. You know, it wasn't a brand spanking new car. So let's talk about these teenagers that their parents are constantly paying for their way and paying that they don't even know how to, to write a check now. Everything's, oh, I'm just putting it on my debit card. And what happens to that point when the companies don't want to take a debit card, they want to take cash or a check? Yeah, I mean, I think that there, there's a couple things going on. One, there's, you know, any any kids that that have money to spend without any um, type of uh, ramifications. I mean, that's that that works until there's no money there, and and you know we could have conversations about mm -hmm. the, uh, intellectual, um, you know, what what you do to a child or to a, a, a human when you don't make them have to try for things. I mean, you you really cripple them intellectually when when they don't have to to try for themselves, and and maybe that's a separate separate conversation. But I do think mm -hmm. that. Um, you know, any parent, no matter where you're at socioeconomically, you, you want to build these skills into your, your, um, into your kids, um, you know, no matter whether, whether they have enough money or not. Um, and so I just think it's incredibly important that we teach those, those money skills in the household, no matter where you're at. And when it comes to, you know, how, you know, how we pay for things, I mean, I don't think there's any putting the genie back in the bottle of electronic transactions and using debit cards mm -hmm. and, and, and not using paper money. I, I don't think that that trend is going to be, be reversing. In fact, it probably is continuing to accelerate. It's just a matter of, of helping them not lose discipline because they don't see it. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I've not operated. I'm 43 and I've been cashless for, you know, gosh, decades. I mean, it's been a long time. I got a debit mm -hmm. card as a teenager. Um, but it's, it, it is a lot easier to overspend on electric, you know, on a debit card than it is with cash for a lot of people. I don't want to say for everybody, but for a lot of people. And so what I'd say is it just depends on, on, on the person. If there's a problem with discipline, then maybe you have to go back to, to the old school methods and the envelopes and all of that. Um, or you, you know, you work on more, uh, you know, newer ways to have that same discipline. As a household, we like to use um, budgeting app rather than the actual physical envelope envelopes. Um, but you just got to know yourself. You have to understand where where you're at. 
Um, and it's certainly easier to be sloppy with, with electronic payments. And so we just have to teach our kids that, uh, that that's the case so that they're not, not surprised by that. That is so true. And we're going to take a brief commercial break. But when we come back, I want to talk about investing, what we need to look for in investing, and how you get your kids involved as well. So we'll be right back. Chats from the blog cabin. Hit subscribe and don't miss the next episode. Chats from the blog cabin. Enjoying this episode? Leave a review now. Do you feel betrayed by life, your body, or by someone that you love? You are not alone and you are not weak or overly emotional for feeling the way that you do. Betrayal is one of the most overwhelmingly painful experiences to navigate because it strikes at the core of who you are and what you are worth. No matter how gutted you feel, there is hope. You can flourish, not in spite of your experience, but because of it, I know. After 23 years of marriage, my world was shattered when I found out that my husband had been cheating on me with five different women for 15 years. I lost everything that day, my identity, my worth, and the future I had worked so hard to create. While it was a long and arduous journey back to myself, today I know who I am, what I want, and I am happier and more confident than I ever was before. I've got what I call naked self-worth, which is the ability to see know and love yourself for who you are, not for what you accomplish or for who you are in relation to others. No matter what has shattered your heart, if you're ready to get clear on who you are, what you want, and to learn how good life really can be, then life choreography is for you. Even if you feel too old or are too busy because you have kids at home and you're in charge of everything. Life Choreography is a comprehensive five-month, five-step program that empowers you to strip out of your labels, roles, and scripts, and to reveal yourself as you are, not as you think you should be. To learn more, go to NakedSelfWorth.com and download your free guide that shows you how to untangle yourself from the past. Reclaim your sexy and start re-choreographing life on your own terms so you can love and be loved for exactly who you most authentically are. And we are back chatting with JJ about investing. Um, so what should we look for when you think about investing? Yeah, so um, when it comes to investing and, and talking uh, to our, our kids about it specifically, I really like to just talk to kids and, and tell them that it's something that even is there, just helping them understand that that's something that people do is the first step, kind of like the whole talking about the budgeting and all of that. You just want to make it something that isn't that they, they hear it for the first time when they move out of the house. You want that to be part of just like you taught them how to cross the street without getting hit by cars. You want to teach them to look both ways in their, their budgeting. And then the next step on that is is to investing. And so 
you know, this is where it can be hard for parents because they might not feel equipped. They might not understand it themselves. And so I always say just, you know, if you don't know, there are a lot of resources out there. That's why the book is out there. And there's other you know, folks that put stuff out there as well. But talk about what you do know. And where I like to, 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 to kind of make, the, uh, make it easy for folks is just talk about the companies that you interact with and the companies that you're a consumer of and, and just talk about the things you see. And just because you talk about a company doesn't mean you have to go out and buy the stock. It just means you had a conversation about that company. And maybe it's companies that you can't even buy the stock of. So just letting you know kids realize, all right, these are businesses. When we're at the grocery store, this is a business. And this is what they're trying to do. You know, They buy this stuff from other businesses and they're trying to make a profit. And, and you just have those conversations about you know, these are the businesses that we're interacting with. And you keep your eyes open for good ideas when you see them. When you see something that's new or that's changed, you know, make notice of that. And it doesn't mean that, you know, they again, like that they run out and become an investor in that. It makes them better consumers. You know, I take, uh, we talked about video games. And my, my three teenagers, all three of them, they love video games. My daughter and, and both of my sons. And so they'll talk about the companies that they interact with on a video game level. Um, and I call it death by a thousand Robux. You know, it's really easy for these kids just to spend those Robux, especially if they got them as gifts and then they want to use their own money on it. And next thing you know, you've lit a hundred dollar bill on fire without realizing it. Mm -hmm. And so if you can help kids understand that, look at this business they're in. That's a great business. Wouldn't you like to be in that business? It helps them one, see the other side of the table. Oh, wow. I'm really paying them a lot of money. Roblox, Roblox also happens to be publicly traded. And so you can have a conversation about, you know, some of these businesses you can actually be an owner of. They may not realize that there's such a thing as public companies. And so just having those conversations to help them raise both your and their awareness. And nowhere in that did you have to have investing skill that you needed to go out there and do anything. It's just noticing that you're in a long line waiting for burritos and wow, mm -hmm. everybody really likes these burritos. I wonder if this place is publicly traded. And so you just, you start to notice those things, makes them better consumers, and then maybe eventually makes them business owners or better business owners or better employees of a business. So how do you start investing? So there's, there's so many different ways you can, you can start investing. If you're talking about, um, you know, the, the public market stocks and bonds, that sort of thing. You know, with young kids, you know, my young kids, their first investments were actually their, you know, their little lemonade stands and things like mm -hmm. that. So just explaining to them, hey, this is an investment in, in what you're doing. But as far as, you know, the actual mechanics of going out and, and in investing your money, it's, it's super easy to do through any you know, brokerage site, any, anywhere um, that um, you, know, you, can, you can buy stocks, bonds, that sort of thing. It's easier than it ever has been because it's more accessible. It used to be a little more difficult to open up accounts. Now you can you can do it on apps on your phone, and um, you can buy partial shares of things. Meaning, you know, Amazon trades for I think you know three thousand dollars per share, three thousand three hundred something like that. Yeah, it's a little daunting to to save up for mm -hmm. one share of that. But with mutual funds and ETFs, and even a lot of these brokerage firms, they'll allow you to buy uh, partial shares and things like that. So you can really you know you can buy you know, Amazon with as little as $25. And so um, it, it's it's super easy to do, easier than it ever has been and cheaper than it ever has been because of the technology and what it's brought to, you know, it's brought it right to you. 
So let's talk about that technology because that was the next question I was going to ask and you already brought it up was that, you know, it's so much easier because we all, we all have these, we all have our computer, our hand. And let's talk about what apps would you look for to try to buy and sell stocks on? Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to get into the specific apps you should use as to far as buying and selling. There's, there's plenty of them out there and most of them are, are about the same. But the main, I'd say stick to the mainstream ones. You don't want to get anything, anything too far off the beaten path. There's things like Fidelity and Schwab and, and Robinhood. You know, any of those are, are, are fine to use. It's a matter of what you're actually buying when you're you know, putting those investments in because you can buy the same thing at any, you know, any number of places. But if you don't know what you're doing, you should ask people for help. Don't just assume that, hey, I'm, gonna, you know, I'm just going to figure out completely on my own. It's good to, to study it. It's good to learn so that when you do have those conversations, you know, you're more aware. But you want to be careful just you know, doing, doing everything completely on your own if, you don't, if, you, if you're not completely familiar with it. And that's all, my whole point and what I'm trying to, to, to really message to grownups is you don't have to have it figured out to have these conversations with your kids. Have those conversations. Admit to them the things you don't know. And then maybe as you're getting professional help to do your investing, you, you, you tell them what you hear. You involve them in those conversations. Um, so what I recommend... You, know, you bring up technology and how easy it is to, to access this. Mm -hmm. It's also easier than ever to access information, which is good and bad. Mm -hmm. It's good if you know what you're looking for. It's bad if you don't know when you're getting bad information. And especially with the teenagers right now, a big problem is TikTok and Instagram and Twitter. There's a lot of bad advice out there. Mm -hmm. In fact, there's whole Twitter pages dedicated to the bad advice coming out of TikTok. And so you want to have you, you want to be careful that, you know, if you're just listening to someone who sounds smart on TikTok, that you don't just start throwing money at that idea without knowing what you're doing. You, know, you still want to go to somebody that knows you, knows your situation and can give you good advice, not just, you know, start throwing money at ideas you hear on TikTok. But it's a it is a problem because kids are getting bombarded with that information and, and there's really not enough of a, of, a, of a good information on the platform to counteract that. So social media could be good and can be bad. Yeah, it can be good because you can learn a lot from, from, from what's out there, but it can be, it can be bad because the, you, if you don't know how to filter the good from the bad, you've gotta be careful. So you know, there's one thing to use it to gather information but you always want to you want to check with with other people, and before you start putting money into it, if you don't know what you're doing, go you know go with a professional. So you said go to a financial planner, maybe talk to your parents as well if you're a kid. Even though even your parents don't even know what's going on, they may be able to link you to somebody who knows what what's going on in the stock market and go through that way. How daunting, yep. how intimidating is the stock market though? You know. I, and I don't mean to make it sound so complicated. I just want people to be careful. I don't want mm -hmm. people to, to you know, throw money at stuff that, that is going to get them hurt. But in the end, what I try to tell people is the stock market, it, it's not this just one big mysterious thing. It's a collection of businesses. It's a collection of companies. And so when you see the whole market moving up, moving down, it can be very intimidating. But really, it's just reflective of what all those companies are worth together. And if, you know, people that buy, you know, people, investors 
are worried about the direction of businesses and the direction it's going to go, then you'll see those prices go down. And if people are optimistic, then you'll see the prices go up. But in the short term, it's going to bounce all over the place. And it's really, really impossible to predict. But in the end, when businesses are making more money, then businesses are worth more. So if your lemonade stands selling, you know, if you're making $1,000 a summer, it, it's going to be worth more next year if it's making $1,500 a summer in the summer. And so that's all the market is reflecting is how much are all of those businesses worth? And the adage I always go back to, you know, people say, well, you know, what moves the stock market? It's the profits of companies. You know, stocks follow the earnings of companies. And if companies are profitable, then, then their price, stock prices go up. Now, um, let's move on to a different subject because it popped into my head as you were talking about the stock market going up and down is the COVID and how it's affected. How is, how is trading and stock market investing different during, I say during the pandemic because we're still in the thick of it, even though people say we're coming out of it, we're going to go right back in with the Delta variant. How has that changed the way people are investing their money and people are looking at the stock market? Yeah, I mean, we could we could talk for a long time about that because it's had a lot of implications into the markets. COVID has both on a lot of levels. So first off, you know, we saw a lot of movement when you know when when COVID started to really rear its ugly head, and we started to see that the economy was gonna gonna be slowed and stopped, and just people didn't know what was gonna happen. We saw the panic, and the market just drops like a rock over over um, you know in far, uh, into February and March of last year. And so you had that dynamic. And then what was interesting is, so everybody's suddenly at home. And so mm -hmm. you have all these people that are now watching the stock market that, you know, they probably wouldn't have been if COVID hadn't happened. And so suddenly there's a little bit, there's, there's a lot more eyes on this thing as it starts to rally back up, as investors realize, okay, it probably went down too far and there's gonna be a lot of government money to bail companies out. And you had all of that happening as, as people are watching it. And so people are noticing that a little more. And that's what you that's why you have a lot of teenagers mm -hmm. interested in this more than ever before was because they were at home on their laptops, you know, in between Roblox and pretending to be in school. They were you know, also sometimes looking at this stuff. And so you had all of that happen. Plus, you had some real fundamental shifts in the business world in how you know, how businesses operated. And so you had this. A lot happening from a technology perspective as companies try to you know deal with this new normal and as you have um you know and it's continues to this day i mean i had a conversation today about manufacturing and what's happening around the world with manufacturing and you know how does that play into investing and so all of those factors really did impact the market in in a material way both in how you know different companies suddenly you know take take uh, you know zoom video suddenly is much more popular than it was mm -hmm. when it IPO'd a few years ago. So you just had a lot of factors plus a lot of eyeballs. And that's why now that all these kids have learned so much and all these grown-ups have learned so much that we kind of keep that solid momentum but make it good education so that they're learning, you know, learning the learning the fundamentals of investing and not thinking that all investing is is trading up and down and and and, and things like that. I like the way you talked about the, the you've mentioned it several times, the lemonade stand and teaching kids at that early age, that's an investment because a lot of people think of when you're thinking about investing, they're thinking stock market. They're not thinking that investing can be investing in a business or doing something for the summer that you're earning money from. 
Right. Yeah, and, and I think that's a good point. Um, that yeah, any and you could even take that to the degree of any way you're thinking about your spending your money can can be considered an investment. The, the, the example I would give is if you you know you notice a sale at the store where things are much cheaper, you you buy a few more and put it on the shelf so that you don't have to buy. I mean, that's investing in, in that in itself. And so yeah, absolutely, just being aware of how we spend our our money. Um, I drive my kids crazy because I won't buy stuff off the end cap at stores. I go, no, 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 they want me to see that there. We're going to go get it out of the middle of the aisle and make sure it's a good deal next to everything else. And so you know, <laughs> those little things, they add up. Now, I know this is kind of, well, it is an investing question. Let's talk about the um, housing market because it's crazy out there with people that are building, I mean, that are bidding like over $100,000 over asking costs for houses. And it it's a buyer. I mean, it's a seller's market, not a buyer's market at the time. Was that, do you think that was caused by COVID or is that just something that's just totally weird? Yeah, I think there's some COVID implications in there for sure. Um, and it's certainly a pretty, it's a wild housing market. I'm not going to call it the wildest one I've ever seen because I did live through the other wild one um, that, that caused the uh, financial crisis. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, you didn't see the bids over ask like, um, then like, like you do now. So it, it, it's pretty crazy. I think part of the COVID um, impact is there's, there's not a lot of new supply coming on, not, not a lot of people selling. So that makes it a seller's market. And, and obviously, you know, real estate's always local. So you know, what happens in your, you know, your town's going to be different than my town. Um, but I do think there's some COVID impact also because um, it, it's impacted the supplies that um, for new construction, you know, lumber, mm -hmm prices went absolutely bonkers earlier this year. They've come down a lot, but they've come down too high. <laughs> you know, they went from mm -hmm. super high down to high. Um, and so that's been a factor because you, you've not had as much building be able to, to take place. Um, so I don't know that I have any, any answers for you there other than I've certainly been fascinated by what's happened around real estate. And there's a lot of people asking about, you know, what is the next step? You know, everybody always wants to call call crashes, it seems like. Um, and usually if everybody's calling it, it doesn't happen. Um, mm -hmm. I'm certainly, you know, going to get out over my skis if I start opining too much on where I think real estate's headed. But I think it's hard to see something crash down when there's when there's no supply of people selling it. So we'll see what happens as moratoriums get lifted and different structural things take place. Um, but it's certainly been interesting to to watch. And, and maybe the one thing I would add is, you know, when it comes to real estate and this be for, for the grownups in there is be a good consumer there as well. You know, mm -hmm. don't just look at what you bought the house for and what you sold it for or what it's worth. If you're putting money into it along the way, that factors into that, that profit margin. So they, you know, houses are expenses as well as investments or maybe instead of investments or a little of both. Yeah, that's so true. So what age should kids start learning how to invest? I'd, I'd say you want to start talking to kids about money as soon as they realize that it's not something you put in your mouth. You want to really have that conversation early about this is a tool. This is what we do. And then when it comes to the investment side of it, you, you maybe play it by ear, depending on how much they understand things. And, you know, the, the first step is just helping them understand that this is what it is. And then learning that self-discipline of, of, of not spending everything you have. Mm -hmm. And then 
as they start to see that and they, 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 they can put it aside and they can start to understand the math a little bit that, all right, you know, if I give you this candy bar for a dollar and you can sell it to your sister for a dollar fifty, that's that's a good deal, right? And when they can start to understand that mm -hmm. level, then I think you can start moving on to, all right, some of those brands that you recognize are actually businesses that you can own. What age is that? You know, my kids are teenagers, so I've forgotten anything that they knew as little mm -hmm. kids, but I'm guessing it's, you know, we started having the conversations when they were four, five, and six about, um, about businesses and companies mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. So what age can they technically start investing like in the stock market and buy stocks? I mean, technically, as soon as they're born, they can, as long as they have a, they're going to have to have a parent custodial account. So you have to have um, an adult as the, the co-signer, if you will, on the account. Um, but technically, you know, they can, you know, they can start as soon as they, as soon as they are identifiable. Wow. I did not even know that. So sometimes you have to watch too, because sometimes the parents may open up an account under their child's name and it kind of can be a little bit of a fraud situation too. Correct. Yeah. And if you do it in a, in their name, in a, in a UTMA or in a, uh, you know, a custodial account, it's their money at 18. So there are different ways you can do that if you don't want them to have that money at 18. Um, so different things like that, but yeah, you want to, you want to make sure you're talking to your, to your people to make sure you're not setting yourself up. Um, somehow, but it can be a great way to get grandparents or aunts and uncles to to um, to give gifts. You know, mm -hmm. I tried like heck to get my mom to not send toys and to to, to send uh, shares instead. Never never won that battle, but I know a lot of people that ha have won that battle, and it's and it's been a good thing. Um, but if you do that, I use it as an educational thing. Don't just make it. Oh, grandma sent me shares and something I don't care about. Need I'd rather mm -hmm. have toys use it as an opportunity to, to explain what's going on if you can. Yeah, that is so true. Um, is there any one last thing that you want to share with us about investing? Yeah, I guess the one thing is if you, if you don't know, ask. And, you know, there's so many people that really do want to help you learn. And if it sounds too good to be true, then it probably is. And tell people your book again. Yeah, it's teaching kids to buy stocks, stories and lessons for grown-ups. That's the sneaky fine print as it isn't for you to hand to the kids. You're going to have to read it yourself. But um, we try to support you with that. We've got social media, um, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. So you can find all that on the website, uh, teachingkidstobuystocks.com. And I want to thank you so much. I'm pretty sure I'll probably have you come back on and as we get more into you know the Delta variant and what we should do with our money at that point. But, you know, I think this is a great starting point to start talking to your kids because a lot of parents don't talk to their kids about money until they're 18, 19 years old, about they're ready to go off to college. Oh, yeah, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. Yep. Nope. That, I appreciate you having me on so much and would love to love to do it again. All right. So, guys, I will put out everywhere in the show notes where you can find JJ and all and even his book. And remember, be blessed. And most importantly, keep chatting. Bye guys. Chats from the blog cabin. We not only have voices for a podcast, but also faces for YouTube. Don't miss your next episode.